We're going to stay in our study of 1 Peter today. And uh, in case you haven't noticed it over the weeks we've been studying 1 Peter, the overall theme of this entire book is about suffering. Peter goes three or four or five specific different times coming back to the concept of suffering and what it means to suffer for Christ. Now, first of all, I need to make the assumption, or I am making the assumption, that all of us here either are currently undergoing suffering or you have suffered in the past or sometime in the future you will suffer. Is that a safe assumption? Yeah. If you've suffered maybe more than others, maybe you're struggling with this concept or this reason for suffering. Maybe you're crying out to God, why all the suffering? Why, God, do I have to suffer? Why? Why does God require his children to suffer as much as we do? Do we know why we're suffering? And do we understand the proper way for a Christian to endure suffering? Lots of questions, good questions. And I hope this morning to bring some clarity to some of these questions. But I will tell you right now that I am not the answer man. I cannot tell you exactly why God allows so much suffering. I think we have a good, clear, some good direction by God's word. But your particular situation, I guess that's where you go to the Lord yourself. And you say, Jesus, would you help me here? Would you give me some clarity? Now last week we spoke in great detail about our identity in Christ. Peter wanted to make sure that we understood who we are in Christ. And remember, we started off last week by identifying who Peter was. Peter was declared by Jesus to be the little stone. He's changed his name. Jesus changed Simon's name to Peter. Simon Peter, meaning you are the little stone. The little stone of what? He is the little stone. He is hewn out of the rock of who Jesus is. And that's who we are as well. If we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord, as our Savior first, then made him our Lord, we are little stones in the building blocks of God's kingdom. And it's important that we recognize who we are in Christ, that we understand our position in Christ, that we understand that we are in the family of God. And the Scriptures goes into great detail making sure that we as believers, born-again believers, true followers of Christ, that we really have a clear understanding of who we are. It's so important that we don't allow the devil to get in and confuse you or me of who we are in Christ. We are on the solid rock. We are founded on his mercies and on his grace and on his truths. We are established as a follower and as a son and daughter of the living God. That is so important that we grasp that. Why? Because when the suffering comes, you will have a tendency to question, who am I? Why am I going through all this? So it's important that we understand clearly that God loves us. No matter what's going on in your life, he loves you unconditionally, and he calls you a son, and he calls you a daughter, being a true follower of Jesus. 
contrary to the popular and somewhat potentially misguided beliefs of this world, they would say that in easy believism, and maybe we've been guilty of it myself, that we say, if you accept Jesus, life's going to get good for you. Life's going to be better for you. Well, that's what, we, that's what we would like to believe. True? Wouldn't you like to believe? I mean, if you read God's Word, He has many promises, many declarations of the goodness of God in our life. But when we read the whole counsel of God's Word, we read that, yes, God has good things in store for those that love Him. But He also has in store times of testing and times of suffering. So contrary to that belief that all's going to be well, the Bible is very clear that we are going to experience much tribulation. How does that make you feel? How do you deal with that? Were you aware of the fact that when you became a Christian, that you joined an army? You became a soldier in the army of God. And soldiers go to war. Soldiers fight. They don't lay down their weapons and give up. But they are on the front lines. And when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and you made him your Lord, you enlisted in the army of God. Did you know that? So why does God require or put us through so much suffering? Let's read our text this morning. 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning at verse 12, going through verse 16. And I'm reading this out of the English Standard Version this morning. Peter says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the fact that you know us and you know exactly where we're at at all times. And I pray, Father, that this word would be revealed to us, that your truths today would come and be maybe a new revelation for us that would give us some encouragement in the times of our suffering. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the times must have really been bad for Peter to spend so much time and be so focused on the concept of suffering. They were being persecuted. The Jewish Christians of that day were truly being persecuted for their faith. And it must have been very difficult because he spends a lot of time on the concept of suffering. And we've spent much time on this concept of suffering as well because it's a fact, because it's true, because it's happening and it's going to continue to happen. We as Christians are at war. And we are going to suffer as a part of the warfare that we've chosen to be a part of. So whether we like to admit it or think about it or not, you can rest assured that you are going to suffer. 
our denial of that isn't going to change the fact. You can say, no, I'm not going to say, well, I, yes, you can deny it all you want. But it's not going to change the fact you're going to have problems in this life. So let's try then to understand the proper perspective then of suffering for Christ. What does it really mean? If we're going to go through it, if we're going to do it, then let's try to understand the proper way. How do we deal with suffering? Maybe we're not going to suffer in the, as in the terms of direct persecution as the way the, the New Testament or the early church was being suffered. Maybe we're not being persecuted for our faith. You know, there's, we have no fear of anyone walking in this church right now and, and sending us to prison because we are talking about Jesus in a public setting, are we? We don't have to worry about that kind of tribulation yet. I don't know if it's coming to America, but thank the Lord right now it's not. But there are many places in the world right now that under, are, are under that fear. There are many underground churches all over the world that are at risk for being thrown in prison and maybe even killed for their faith. That is true persecution. But there's other forms of suffering, though, that our unseen enemy or the devil would bring to us those that are firmly entrenched as being a follower of Christ, he will bring forms of suffering on you that may not be direct persecution from men, but you got to know he's going to bring it against you because we are in warfare against him and he is out to destroy us. He's out to kill us. He's out to knock us off of our saddle. He's, not, he's out to, to take us out of the equation. That means we're going to suffer, and we're going to have different kinds of suffering. So if we know we're going to go through it, then let's figure out the best way to approach it. Now, what can that look like? What does that mean? Well, let me ask a couple questions. Do you believe that God answers prayer? Do you believe that God answers prayers according to your will or his will? So if God answers prayer according to his will, then do you also know who knows best for you, you or God? I mean, do you really think that you know what's best for you? We like to think we do, don't we? But if I can really appreciate the fact that God has the bigger picture in mind, he sees the whole equation. I'm just seeing the part on this side of the equal sign. I'm not seeing the summation over here yet. I'm just in the equation part. I'm in the adding, subtracting, multiplying, dividing part, and he's in the equalization part. He knows what's happening. He knows the end of my, my life already. I have to be able to trust him then that he knows best. And unfortunately, that might make us go through some things that we don't think are best for us. But he does. So if we truly believe that God knows the best path for me to go and that he always answers prayers and directs my path according to his will, then when we read scriptures like our text this morning, how should we pray? How should we pray? Remember, Peter says, beloved. He's speaking to Christians. He says, dear friends, in another translation. Beloved, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. This is for us today. 
This is for me, and this is for you, and this is for every true believer in the world today that do not be surprised when fiery troubles come your way. And let me ask you another question. Do you think that God is surprised because you're going through some troubles in your life? Do you think that it takes him off guard? Do you think God's a little bit, ooh, I didn't see that one coming? Of course not. He's totally aware of it. In fact, this is great news to us that he's not surprised. Wouldn't it be terrible if God was ever surprised? I would hate the fact that the God that I trust, that I'm putting all my faith in, would ever be surprised at something that's coming my way. I'm so thankful that he is not surprised. And the reason that he's not surprised is because much of the suffering that we go through, he allows. He's aware of it, and he allows it. Now, our job is to understand and learn more about ourselves and the purpose that God has for some of these problems we're experiencing. Now, let me say this, because Peter says this as well. Sometimes the problems we are having are due to our own poor choices. Peter addresses that. We'll come back to that. Not everything that we suffer is a result of God wanting that to happen to us, but sometimes because of our own free will, we make choices. And then we have consequences of our choices that would, reco- that would, that would require us to suffer the consequences. We'll come back to that in a minute. But the problems and the fiery ordeals that Peter's talking about right now are approved by God for his purposes, and God isn't surprised about them, and neither should we be surprised. Many commentaries are written on this, and what's important that we recognize is that we always know that God never wastes anything. He is not a wasteful God He does everything for a purpose. Everything he does has a purpose in mind for our good. One commentary says this, speaking about persevering in suffering. As this letter draws to a close, Peter reminds his readers that they should not be astonished when they suffer. God is using the suffering to purify the church. Therefore, they should unresolvedly give themselves to God in their suffering. Peter concludes with the encouragement to all that continue in the faith because their final reward is certain and it's going to be well worth the suffering. These things force us to the reality of life that it's going to be hard. We are going to be put in situations that are going to be troublesome, persecution, suffering, and are going to continue to force us to make the choice. Do I continue to accept Christ and God's will in this completely, or do I reject him and get mad at him and say, God, you're being unfair to me. I'm done with this. I can't handle anymore. You're putting too much on me. That's the choice we have to make. See, God is in the process. Right now, we are in the equation part of the world right now. He is in the process of readying his bride 
the church, to be acceptable to him and to be acceptable under his unchanging standards. Trouble and fiery deals bring out the worst and the best in people. That's where I know who I really am. When that trouble comes, it really defines me. This is not the first time, however, that God uses testing in Scripture. Just so you know, I want you to be sure that, that you come... Again, this is going back to who are we in Christ. We are not alone in the testing process. I want to read a number of verses here so you know this. Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham... Here I am, he replied. Then God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. That's a test. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1 and 2. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. That's who you are. God has promised this to you. He goes on in verse 2. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness for these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. God's a testing God. Job chapter 23, verse 10. But he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and see if there is any wicked or anxious thoughts in me. See if there's anything offensive in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. James 1, 2 and 3. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. James 1.12, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Do you see the pattern of God's testing in our lives? All throughout our life, we will be tested. Never to hurt us. Never to beat us down. Never to destroy us. Now the enemy would test to destroy, but not God. God uses these to, so that we would persevere and that he would perfect us. Now, I, I know that it's easy to read and say things like this on a Sunday morning, but it's a whole different matter to live it out. I'm very sensitive. To, I'm trying to be very sensitive to those that are undergoing through the battles right now of testing. It's not easy. And I'm not trying to downplay it. I'm not trying to distress it. I'm just trying to analyze it. I'm trying to accept the fact that we're going to go through it. And this is why, again, why last week's message was so important, that we remember who we are in Christ, that we never let the devil get us down that path so much that we're so far down the path of being tested and, and under suffering and under severe stress that the devil says, see, God doesn't really love you. No, he's abandoned you. You're on your own, buddy. You better figure out your own way. See, that's the devil's plan. And with that, he would destroy you. But that's not what God wants. That's not why God's allowing you the testing to go through, for you to go through this kind of suffering. 
He's not allowing all this stuff because he enjoys watching you suffer. Believe me, he does not enjoy watching you suffer any more than you enjoy watching your kids go through things that you know are good for them. So many times you could step in and do it for them. But you know if you did, you would be hurting them in the long run because they need to know how to stand on their two feet, right? Same thing with God. He could step in at any moment. Like Jesus said, I could call 10,000 leagues of angels and they would come and deliver me from this cross. But he said, Father, not my will, but thy will be done. Yeah. Peter goes on in verse 13 and 14 of chapter 4. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Yeah. You see, we're fresh off the Easter season. And we've been reminded of the horrible suffering Christ went through. For those that came and watched The Passion with us, we saw it again. As hard as it is to watch that movie, we saw the intense suffering that Christ went through. I mean, I think I can safely say without insulting anyone that none of our sufferings have come even close to what he suffered. Not only that, but he didn't deserve to suffer. He didn't do anything but take on the payment of our sin. Interesting here what Peter says. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you also may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. We have never suffered and will never suffer like Christ suffered. But yet, if we share in it, I mean just at a little bit, if we share in it, we get all the benefits of his suffering. We get it all. We get eternal life. We get forgiveness of sins. We get freedom in this world. We get the freedom from guilt. We get the freedom of condemnation. We get the freedom of the consequences because he went through all of it, so we only have to share a little bit in it. But we get it all at the end. Isn't that an awesome trade? Isn't that awesome that he would take it all for us? And all he's asking you and I is you just share a little bit in it. It may seem a lot to you right now, but in reality, it's just a little bit. And see, when I see it this way, then how can I have the right to get angry with God? How can I have the right to question anything he allows to happen in me when I know that my suffering will never compare to his, but yet when I go through suffering properly with that perspective of eternity in mind, that I get to share in all of the glory that he went to the cross for. Amen. This helps me to lighten my burden. Doesn't, take, doesn't make it take a go away. Doesn't make it go away. I, I wish it did. I, I wish we could do that. But you know, if we did that, if Jesus did that, at the end of the day, we all would be missing out something because he's allowing us to go through it to perfect us to take us to the end of the path successfully. 
that we may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. What does that mean? When his glory is revealed. Well, let's talk about glory. When is it revealed? Imagine the scenario of life here that we never had a problem. Imagine that God really did make it perfect for us here on this, on this earth and that we never had an issue. Life was perfect. We had lots of money in the bank. Our kids were all perfect and healthy, no sickness. We had good jobs. We had no stress. We had no struggles. We're really happy. We're really contented. We're really having a good time in this life. Then all of a sudden, Jesus says, he knocks on the door and says, hey, I'm coming back for you. Now, I would imagine there would be some of those people there saying, really? Why? It's so good down here. Why would I want you to come back and take me out of here? It's too good, God. Why don't you wait a little while until I'm a little older or maybe things aren't going quite so well? Wrong answer. That's not the answer Jesus is looking for. That's not, the way, that's not the reason that he died, to give us a good life here to the point that we don't want to go in heaven to see him. That's the answer we want. That's the answer many name-it-claim-it prosperity teachers will tell you. That's a lot of false teaching in that. But that's not the reality of God's word. On the other hand, the person that is being tested and purified so that the motives of their heart are truly true, he is overjoyed at the prospect of Christ coming back to take him home. He said, yeah, I've been waiting for this for so long. I can't wait. That's the answer. So all the suffering we've endured up to that time will be a source of joy and will be greatly diminished in the light of eternal rewards. Paul understood it when he wrote to the Corinthians. Second, the book of Corinthians, chapter 4, beginning of verse 16. He says, Therefore we do not lose heart, Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we, we are being renewed day by day for our, <laughs> our light and momentary troubles. Now, Paul, if you know anything about Paul's life, he was shipwrecked, he was beaten, he was stoned, he was left for dead. You talk about a man being persecuted, and he has, and he has the audacity to call these light and momentary troubles. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So what do we do? We fix our eyes on Jesus. We fix our eyes on not what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. That is how we go through suffering in this world. That is how we deal with it, by keeping our eyes focused on Christ. You know, that brings up an interesting question. Do you truly know what a blessing is? We've talked about this a little bit in the past. But the definition of blessings most people come up with today isn't exactly what the Bible defines a blessing as. See, in our life, we define blessings as everything good. Happy life, good marriage, lots of money in the bank, nice home, nice cars, all good stuff. I love them all. Not a problem with any one of them. But the problem is, is that when we start taking those blessings for granted or we start appreciating the blessings more than the blesser, we're having a problem. So really, God's definition of a blessing is a little bit different than ours because when I let the blessing become what I worship, then the blessing becomes a curse. 
because I put more time in chasing the blessing than chasing the blessor. Amen. Especially serious in our abundance of the American dream. (laughs) Maybe many countries don't have a deal with this too much, but I think we do a lot. Verse 14 of, first, of uh, chapter 4, Peter. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed. You're blessed because the spirit of glory in God rests upon you. God's definition of blessings is anything that causes us to depend on Christ more. Anything to turn our eyes from this world to him is a blessing. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed. You're blessed when you're insulted for the name of Christ because it puts your eyes on Jesus. Jesus talked a little bit about that in the Beatitudes, where he's teaching about the attitudes we should have in the Beatitudes. Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The eternal mindset is how we deal with suffering today. Let me encourage you this morning that eternity is worth the wait. No matter what you're going through right now, no matter what the enemy is placing upon you, or no matter what the Lord is allowing to happen in your life, eternity is worth the wait. Don't give up. There's nothing worth gaining in this world or in this life that would be worth losing eternity forever. Nothing, nothing. And this temptation comes to all people. This temptation of a shortcut, of going an easier way in this life, even was presented to Jesus. Do you know that? Matthew chapter 4, verse 8 and 9, when Jesus was in the desert, went 40 days, tempted by the devil three times, devil took him, again, if you read this verse, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And the devil said, all this I will give to you if you will bow down and worship me. Now, we may look at this and say, well, this is totally doesn't make any sense. But understand it does make sense because the Satan had the ability to do that. Man gave Satan the dominion of this world. Satan had it in his hand. Jesus knew that. He came to this world to take it back. But he, but he wasn't going to take it back the cheap way. See, if he would have said, okay, Satan, good deal. I don't have to suffer that way. I don't have to suffer. If, you just, if I just have to bow down to you one time, meaning just one time, I just got to bow down to you, and you're going to give it back to me, and I don't have to suffer? Wow, I'm taking that deal. See, if Jesus would have done that, it would have disqualified him. Not only that, but do you think the devil was ever going to give it to him? The devil's a liar. And you understand this, the devil has taken that same temptation that he put on Christ and he's perfected it on you and I. That we are tempted the same way. Guys, just shortcut a little bit. Make a little compromise here, a little compromise there. You don't have to go all in for Christ. You don't have to go all in. That's, that's fanatical. 
that's for those weird church people up there in the hill. No, I tell you what, you just give me a little bit here, you give me a little bit here, I'll make your life easy here. You don't have to go through persecution here. You don't have to stand out in front of your friends here. You can be part of the crowd here, and you can still have Jesus. You can have it all. Understand, that's the devil's play. He's very good at it, isn't he? How many of us here have had it? How many here has he come with you that temptation? Absolutely he has. The only way we're going to make it to the end is doing exactly what Jesus said. He says, get thee behind me. I am going to go the way God prescribes it. I'm going God's will, and God's will says, I will suffer greatly to pay your price. I got to tell you, if that's Jesus' mentality, it better be mine, and it better be yours, or you're not, or, or you're really, can I just say it, you're really not a Christian. Can we just say it for what it is? If I have any compromise like that in my life, I'm playing the game, and Satan is going to win because that's just exactly what Jesus had to do, and we have to take up our cross and follow Christ like he did. It's going to require us to suffer if we're going to share in his glory. Jesus' perspective on all this, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus didn't want to die this way. Can I just tell you that? It was a shameful way to die. But scorning its shame, he endured the cross because of the joy that was coming. Eternity is worth the wait. The joy that's coming will allow us to go through the suffering here. And Jesus is saying, guys, just hang on. Come on, I got you. I've got you. If you'll just trust me in this, I've got you. Don't give up. Don't give up in the suffering. Stephen, the deacon turned to martyr, was a great example for us to follow. And here's something I want to point out to you quickly. If you go to Acts chapter 7, verses 55 and 56, it says, But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God, and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. When we just heard that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, all of a sudden, Jesus is standing at the right hand of God. And Stephen said, Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Why was Jesus standing when before he was seated? He's standing because he's honoring Stephen. He stood up to watch his son die. That's honoring him. Jesus is standing up for you today. He's standing up for you today in the face of the enemy. He is your advocate today. But when I choose the path of least resistance... When I choose to compromise so I don't have to suffer, he's forced to sit down. He's forced to sit down because he can no longer stand for you because you're not standing for him. You stand for him, he'll stand for you. Amen. But we have to stand for him. We have to take up our cross, and we have to endure and be willing to endure the suffering of this world. I don't care how bad it is. I know it's hard. It's the truth. And then Peter goes on, verse 15, But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. 
Now, this goes back to what I suggested early on. This would suggest that there are some areas of suffering that we undergo because of our poor choices. If I'm a murderer, if I'm a thief, if I'm an evildoer, or if I'm just a simple little meddler. <laughs> Isn't it interesting that he puts a murderer in with a meddler? A meddler is something that says getting your nose into somebody's business where it shouldn't be. It means you're gossiping. It means you're talking bad about your brother or sister. You're stabbing them in the back. It means you're getting involved in some things you shouldn't be getting involved with. That's just as bad as being a murderer. We've got to read it, guys. We've got to see what it's. the Bible says. We've got to read it and see it. But if you suffer for that, you're not suffering for Christ. No, you're suffering for your own consequences. Difference. The point here is that we need to understand and accept the fact that God is expecting us to make good choices. And as true followers of Christ, we suffer for the sake of Christ, not for the sake of our poor choices, thinking that we're pleasing the Lord. Now, here's the good news. We've all messed up. I'm so thankful that Jesus forgives the messes that I've made. I'm so thankful. He's still here for us if we're repentant and willing to admit our mistakes. His redemption is still for us today. So I love it when Peter just throws one verse in there, and then he goes right back in to say, yet, in verse 16, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. So we need to focus on the things that we need to understand that we do have consequences for our sin. But the most important thing is that we stop dwelling on that and we start trusting Jesus for all that he's done for us so we don't have to suffer the consequences more than we have to. Now, there will be consequences of your sin, just so you know that. You may be forgiven, you may be on your way to heaven, and you may be having a, all kinds of heaven rewards, but there are still consequences to some of the sins that we've done. How do we deal with that? We just repent. We just say, Jesus, I'm sorry, and just get on with life. Live it out. Live purposefully for Jesus. He'll take care of it. Trust him. He'll take care of it. Jackie, would you come? So this morning, maybe you're struggling with the reason for suffering in your life. So how does a true follower of Christ properly undergo suffering? Well, with our eyes on the prize. With our eyes on Jesus. Knowing that he has a plan. I love Romans chapter 8, 28. It's my, one of my favorite verses. And we know, and we know, read it with me. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, see how that's written? He says, in, we, first of all, we know. It's not an idea. It's not I hope. We know that in all things, not some things, all things, God works for the good. Now read this right. Of those who love him, not those who he loves. He loves all people, but it's only those that love him is he truly working for the good because those that don't choose him, they're out of the equation. They've taken themselves out of the place of blessing. So for those that love him, who have been called according to his purpose, he promises you he works all things out for your good. Amen. So this morning, 
I just want to encourage us with this fact that the suffering that we're going through is for your good. He's using it for your good. He's using it to bring you through as a perfected person. And if it's shortcut in any way, shape, or form, if you try to run around it, you're hurting yourself. Walk through it with Jesus. Walk through it knowing that he's got you right where he wants you. Walk through it knowing that he's, he's holding you up. It's his power. It's his authority that we have. Not our own. It's him. And in him, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we come to you and we thank you so much. We thank you so much for all that you've done for us. Lord, we thank you for the suffering. We thank you that you love us so much that you want to perfect us so that we can spend eternity with you. That you will receive us as a perfected, redeemed man and woman that loves you because you're working all things for the good of those that love you. Thank you, Jesus. Now, this morning, if you have something that we can help you with, we want to take some time to pray with you. We want to, be, we want to take this as an opportunity to exercise now this time of prayer. I know we've got a meeting afterwards, and we'll get to that, but I want to take just a couple minutes here this morning. If there's anything we can do for you, can we pray? Can we hold you up? Can we come alongside of you and say, yeah, I'm your brother and sister. I know what suffering's like, and I want to help you through it. As we sing the song that Jackie's going to sing, if you want to pray, would you just make your way up and we'll just take a few minutes and pray. That's the beautiful thing about it. God hears our prayers real quick. Real quick. He hears our prayers when we're in the right spot. We don't have to belabor this. Amen. In Jesus' name.
that we just declare your goodness now in Jesus' name. And we're so thankful that we have this assurance. You've made it very clear to us today that you love us and that you're walking with us as we go through these journeys of life. You're never leaving us alone. We may feel alone, but that's not true. That's the enemy trying to get in and break relationships. But through our hearts, our repentance, our dependence upon you, we love you and we thank you. And Lord, I trust now everyone here to your safekeeping and your protection. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Go this week with the confidence of who you are in Christ. And do not let the devil bring any lies or any accusations against you. Because you know, you know that God our Father is working things out on your behalf. Trust him.